welcome to the Outer Circle Inner Stillness. Reflections and conversations exploring recovery work in spiritual disciplines and where they come together. The Outer Circle comes from a recovery exercise called the Three Circles. The Middle Circle contains the bottom line behaviors, those destructive patterns you are working to avoid. The Second Circle contains those behaviors, patterns, places, and relationships that, while not inherently bad, for you are an integral part of the spiral towards the Middle Circle. The outer circle contains the vision of your best and fullest self that you are seeking to live. Turning towards this full self is turning away from your middle circle. The outer circle explores daily practices that promote sobriety, presence, balance, connection, thriving, purpose, healing, and resilience. Inner stillness is a concept from Orthodox Christian spiritual thought that refers to the deepest part of a person's soul, the place where God lives and speaks. In pursuing the outer circle and the inner stillness, I believe we can find all that we need. Welcome back to the outer circle and the inner stillness, the truth about accountability. The outer circle, inner stillness is reflections and conversations on the intersection of recovery work and spiritual disciplines and where and how we build the inner life and develop the inner life. I'm excited to have you all here with me today. I am joined by two wonderful guests and wonderful friends, one of which I've actually met in real life, and I will give them a chance to introduce themselves in a little bit more depth. But I have Dan Stevens and Orlando Rivera, and we're going to talk about accountability. So, gentlemen, would you introduce yourselves, say a little bit about where you are in the counseling world and the recovery world and any other random cool factoids about you. Why don't you go ahead, Orlando? Thank you, Dan. Uh, my name is Orlando Rivera. I am currently teaching at Portland Community College, and I currently teach within the addictions program. Prior to that, I was working within the addictions profession, and one of the jobs I had was uh as a senior counselor over at a methadone clinic. And prior to that, I was working at a facility for adolescents, uh, which included uh, mental health as well as addictions. And prior to that, I was also working as an addictions uh, specialist and manager for the DUI program and, and all of the other factors within the treatment facility at that location. I also, uh, prior to coming to uh, Portland, Oregon, I had taught for 11 years at a local college in Los Angeles. So uh, my background does consist of, um, you know, being within the profession, working um, hands-on as well as in the classroom setting. I'm sorry, awesome. I don't think you have enough experience for this. <laughs> well, I didn't want, I only went back 10 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> only 10. Oh, no, I appreciate Only 10, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that that's really amazing. And I, I forget sometimes just like how many places you've been and how much you've done. And uh, so that's, it's really exciting to just hear like all of that uh, experience uh, pouring into one single conversation with me. I'm so excited. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And Dan, who are you? Yeah, I'm Dan Stevens. Uh, professionally speaking, I'm a licensed mental health counselor in Washington, a licensed professional counselor in Arizona. I'm in private practice 
at a nonprofit that I started. We got a little bit of research going on, hoping to publish uh, either late this year or early next year with uh, some some stuff on addiction and assessment, kind of prevalence and that that kind of stuff. I'm also a CSAT candidate, so certified sex addiction therapist candidate. I've done three of the four mods for that training. The fourth one's coming up in August. I, I wish I had done that training sooner. It is by far the best training on, on at least pornography and sex addiction that I've done, and I have done several. I think I've done all the major ones on the market, and I should have done this one first, and it would have been all I needed. Shout out to ITAP for doing great stuff. Personally, you know, I've got my own my own recovery story is, is part of this. So my recovery started like in the framework of addiction recovery in 2016. And I'm, I'm blessed to have a, a good track record of sobriety, you know, confession and support going back basically that far. Before that, though, seeing it mostly as a religious or moral issue, seeking help in the church, uh, mainly through accountability groups. So lots of lots of experience, good and bad, with um, well-intended people not being as helpful as they hoped to be. So there's there's that. And then on the spirituality side of things, uh, I guess the angle I'd be coming at this from is probably a, a Protestant Reformed angle. So it's interesting to hear from other perspectives and, and see how they all you know, there's things that are similar. There's things that are a little bit different. Some of us are weaker in areas. Some of us are stronger in areas, but we all have things to learn from each other. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that part as well. Thank you for sharing. Yes, I'm excited for your perspective also and all that, all that you bring. I appreciate like the intersection of the the, the faith and clinical worlds that, that you, you can touch on uh, in there also. And and again, here, here am I. I'm also like a... CSAT counselor and a drug and alcohol counselor and your local Orthodox Christian liturgical traditional spirituality and also very much now steeped in the internal family systems model. I'm uh, doing my first official training, so so not technically yet an official practitioner, but getting there very close. So all that to say, we will probably be talking about parts today <laughs> a little bit, at least a little bit. But so speaking of Growing up in church, because I did also, and there, and or Orlando, I'd be curious to hear from you, kind of, kind of what like like the tropes of accountability are. So, no, definitely, and maybe, maybe, Dan, you can attest to this. In 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 the church world, there's a lot of focus put on like you know, man, don't look at porn, and that often gets like a disproportionate amount of attention. And this idea of accountability is like, okay, a bunch of guys who come together on Saturday morning and they say whether or not they looked at porn and then they all feel bad and then they all go home. And then that's kind of it. There's more than that. And there's a lot of ways that it's done more healthily than that. But I think um, at least in my generation, there is a lot of groups and meetings like that where this idea of accountability was basically just like I check in and say if I messed up or not. Some things that I'm excited to explore today, you know, when we talk about what have been, what is accountability? Like what have been some of our good experiences and not so good experiences of accountability? Uh, and what does this word mean? Is it just giving a report of failure or is it something like the sacrament of confession or is it just good peer support or is it checking in with a mentor? You know, when we get into accountability, we talk a bit about like responsibility. Like, is it the person seeking the accountability who is more responsible for their work or is it the person being sought after who is responsible to cultivate and nurture the person? So 
those are some of the some of the things that I'm hoping to to get into a little bit. Maybe I will I will uh, put it to you know either of you if you want to pick it up. Would have been uh, yeah, would have been either some really good or really bad experiences of an account an accountability group or individual partner. My my bad experiences. You, you kind of touched on it. They're only focused on the negative thing that you're trying to avoid. There's there's not a whole lot of place for the the positive things that you're moving toward instead, except a kind of a vague concept of, of sobriety. And that's not always well defined or well understood, especially in the church. And then the other the other problems I think is you know, as you look at either a gentle hand or a firm hand, you've got sloppy grace on one end of the spectrum or judgmental legalism and shame, shame-based shame stuff on the other end of the spectrum. With regard to both the negative things that you're trying to avoid and the positive things that you're pursuing. And so you get either in one, in one sense, it's like three strikes you're out because you're not taking it seriously. Or on the other end of the spectrum, it's, oh yeah, it's okay, man, you'll do better next time. And there's no firm encouragement to do better. And I've seen uh, in, in my clients, I've seen people in both of those groups and some people need one more than the other. And if you can match them to what they need, it kind of works, but it's still, it's short-sighted. It only goes so far. It doesn't get them to, you know, long-term recovery maturity. It might get them sober, but it doesn't work on the underlying stuff. Yeah, that's a really tricky balance to hit. I'm glad you could talk about that. Uh, Orlando, what about you? What uh, either... Yeah, would have been some of your either really good or really bad experiences. With regards to um, recovery as well, the intersection there? or Yeah. Well, like either a really good experience of like having an accountability group or accountability person or, or, or being that accountability person for someone else. What's something you've discovered has worked really well or has not worked really well? Well, I think what, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is transparency. Uh, I, I do believe that with regards to, say, my students, for example, one of the things that is really important for me with regards to accountability is being responsible enough to let the students know, you know, if something didn't come to pass or if something didn't work out the way it's supposed to, and at the same time be able to do it and to reaffirm that, you know, I take full responsibility or I am accountable for what it is that that worked or didn't work. And I think one of the things for me is that it's, it's refreshing to know that it's accepted for the most part uh, when somebody comes forthright and, you know, takes on this uh, accountability for something that they did. And so although it may be something that is, for example, uh, something that didn't go right, at least that part of that accountability is, is taken into account. Uh, it also models and it shows how they too can can do the same thing that we don't have to hide all our errors. It was interesting how Dan was talking about you know the church and and I certainly had my uh, my ways with um, various churches when I went out exploring where do I belong where do I belong where do I belong and being raised as a Northern Baptist and then Southern Baptist and then a Protestant and then another church that was in the neighborhood. <laughs> um, and I kept so searching, like what was right, what was wrong, you know, the whole moralistic values behind it. And, and then you see the pastor or the priest doing contrary what he's telling the congregation. And as a little kid, I'm thinking, 
but he just said, and then he's doing, I don't, I, ah, I, you know, I got confused. And then I basically ran away from the institution and be, and, you know, I did my share of my drugs. And then what was interesting is that I came come full circle when I found the spirituality behind sobriety. And on June 1st, it'll be 35 years. And that in and of itself is a journey of accountability, just by and large. And and granted, you know, I've learned a lot of things uh, within that. And I've seen a lot and I've heard a lot with uh, other people and sort of enmeshing my life and, you know, the many thousands of meetings that, you know, we go to sometimes on a daily basis. And now with Zoom um, multiple times a day, you know, if needed. Uh, but still taking into the account um, the accountability that I have, you know, um, either as a member or as, uh, say, for example, my credentials or any of our credentials, you know, that we belong to an association of some kind or many of them, that we are accountable for what it is that we say publicly, what it is that we do, our actions, etc. And you know, to me, it gets reinforced. Uh, and I'm I'm blessed and lucky because I have a 12-step program to, you know, to hang that hat on because it helps me keep that in line. And those are one of the things that I appreciate with regards to recovery and accountability. And I, I got to throw in responsibility because they, they almost go hand in hand, uh, in, in my opinion. And so th- those are just some of the good things that have happened. There are times where I have misspoke. <laughs> let's call it what it is, that I lied and did not take accountability and how that can mushroom, mushroom to something much bigger. And then finally coming clean and then taking accountability and making the amends that are needed in my recovery or my recovery in life, not not just with drugs and alcohol, but just in life. And the feeling that comes from it, speaking from my own experience, it's really about feeling comfortable and feeling I, I fit in now that that the transparency is open and, and it's out and I don't have to hide anymore. I really appreciate you saying that and congratulations on 35 years. That's almost as long as I've been alive. <laughs> I always wait for that line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Glad I could live up to that. You know, as in tracking what you're saying, so talking about this idea of transparency I, I think that that's not a surprising notion in, in what this is, because I think when we talk about accountability, there's a sense of I should be like opening up and talking about and stuff. I really love the way that you connect it to responsibility, though. And it occurs to me, I mean, when we talk about like like financial accountability or like you know leadership accountability, I mean, that's not all about like drugs and sex, but very much like here's what happened. Everybody around me has a right to know what I what I've done so that I can take responsibility for it. And, and then this, this third component you, you, t- you add in of, so, then, so that I can then also make amends or do relationship repair if, if that is needed. In there, I'm, I'm going to segue into, I think, what was a really helpful experience for me. Uh, and what you're talking about, it seems like relationship is really central or like having, having a repaired or an unbroken or an open connection with people is really essential for like human life, but also for recovery and where there's a lie, where there's a secret, or where there's an, an unaddressed offense that festers and mushrooms and, and becomes really problematic. One uh, unhelpful experience that stands out is, um, so I went, I went to a men's group at a church one time, and I only went once because it was a circle of like, it was a big group, 
It was like maybe 20, 25 men, some of whom were there for the first time. And there's like no setup, no real policies given. It just turned into here's all of these guys sharing like the worst parts of their story in this like odd, like group catharsis. And I was like, not like offended by anything anybody had done, but I was like early enough in my counselor training to know like, well, this is like a really like unstructured, like unfiltered, unregulated, like uh, there, there's some problems with how this is going on because there's no support or instruction. And so I didn't share anything. <laughs> I walked out and never went back. But I will say too, when I was early on in my in my recovery process and having to get my stuff together, I didn't respond well to like to like the structures and authorities and the people like demanding change of me. Um, there was there was a guy named Lucas who who really cared for me and he was really he was able to sit with me, hear my story, not judge, just give me time and like for the for the love that I had for this this guy as as a, as a platonic friend and as a Christian brother, I, I was like you know I want to change for him because I want him to be proud of me and I want to achieve the things that he's achieving. And so, you know, for, for him and a couple other people like him, I, for that, for the sake of relationship, a, I became willing to be open and transparent and to begin to take responsibility for my stuff. Subtle plug for, for relationships there. Yeah. I I don't think you can be transparent if the relationship isn't safe. And like the, so, I mean, there's a balance of the internal and the external aspects of, of accountability. I talk a lot about the external problems. Orlando, you talked a lot, a lot about the internal challenges of it. And like they have to work together. And, you know, in terms of taking responsibility and being accountable when mistakes are made, I don't think this is, is strictly recovery accountability, but I do think there's an aspect of recovery accountability that kind of bumps into justice issues as well. You know, as an example, the guidepost report that came out about misconduct and mishandling of sex abuse allegations in the Southern Baptist Convention here just this last week, right? I don't want to rag on Southern Baptists because I love them. I want them to do well, but there's, there's a lot of problems institutionally there where things were not handled well because of a lack of accountability and a lack of an internal desire within the institution to be accountable. And when we're talking about individual recovery, in particular with pornography or sex addiction, I think though with other addictions as well, there's a lack of a desire to be accountable for what our actions do to other people. You know, so when I'm talking about, did I look at porn or masturbate? I'm, I also have to be accountable that I have a wife who is impacted by that. I have two young children in my home who are impacted by my example one way or the other, even if they have no awareness of my behavior, there's an attitude, there's a, there's a mood, there's a way of handling emotions, usually an incompetent way of handling emotions around acting out. And that impacts my kids. If I were still doing that, and thank goodness I'm not, but like there is accountability. There is a, a justice aspect to this, I think that in recovery, in the name of being gentle, I don't, I don't know that we we talk about it as much. But I also, like, the justice aspect can bring in a lot of shame if we're not careful with it. So there's there's a balance mm-hmm. to be struck there. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we could maybe explore this point a little bit as we're looking at, like, what what uh, what, what is accountability meant, meant to accomplish? 
well, actually, maybe maybe we could start there. So, because yeah. because I, I want to get to this point of like, should should accountability be more more strict, more push, or more gentle, more supportive? But but backing up to say, what is it meant to accomplish? So so here's some context for the question for me. So mm-hmm. in my men's groups and my men's recovery groups, uh, the question has come up several times: Should I have an accountability partner? Well, and related to that, well, who should be my accountability partner? Should it be? Uh, my wife, my boyfriend, my, 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 my friend, somebody in group, should it be uh, a pastor so-and-so? What is that supposed to look like? Like, do I just call and say, hey, I'm feeling tempted or, oh, hey, I did the thing or like all of that. So there's kind of this sense that comes up that, well, my accountability partner or sometimes like my accountability software is supposed to like keep me from acting out, which feels... Like, like, like a big question for people. And so I guess I would be curious to hear from you too. Like, is accountability meant to be a thing that keeps you from acting out? Or is it more like you were talking about Orlando taking responsibility for something that's already been done? Or I don't know. What do you, uh, what do you guys think? You know, you bring up very... It, it, I, I was just asking, is there an all of the above? I, I think that those are all <laughs> pieces of <it. laughs> Sure, why not? <laughs> yes, and, and, and. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Orlando. I spoke over you. What, what were you going to say? I was going to say the uh, that one part. There's. I have a dear friend of mine, uh, Reese knows uh, Robert Morrissey, and he he does this little small sentence to me every, every time you know I I go about my day. He simply says, "Do good work." That's it. Do good work, and immediately that sense of accountability just steps in. It's like okay you cannot do the following things that you were intending to do or that you were thinking about, right? So in a sense, I, I utilized my dear friend as as a, uh, a role model, as a uh, someone that, that helps me with my accountability. Uh, I have somebody else in my life also a sponsor uh, to which I, I tell them, you know, I, I do something what we call tell on yourself, right? Where, you know, these are my feelings, this is how I'm thinking, et cetera. And then you have that conversation and hopefully you can avoid whatever thing it is that you were intending to do. Uh, as we said, you know, it, it's about uh, preventing something happening. However, on the flip side of that, we do have things where something does happen. I watch porn. I have you have certain thoughts. Um, I have certain intentions, right? And if I act upon them, I'm still accountable. Even though, say, it's hidden from the rest of the world, I'm still accountable. If no one knew, I'm still accountable, right? If no one knew for years or decades, I'm still accountable. And that accountability for me, you know, I the only word that comes to mind is gnaws. It gnaws at me, right? And it, it kind of goes back to what Reese was talking about earlier um, about the secrets, right? And we have an old saying that the secret kills, right? The more secrets you have, the more it could really gnaw at you. Uh, which, on the lighter side, it tells me that I have a conscience, and that's a good thing, right? Mentally speaking, and it also tells me that there's some work that I need to do, and it keeps me accountable. When I think of the word accountability versus responsibility, it's like what are the differences? It's a subtle difference for me. Accountability is being able to account for whatever it is I said or did or have been doing. Responsibility for me means my ability to respond to something I said or did or um, uh, carry out. 
as part. Um, I think in AA, they have a responsibility statement that says, don't quote me on this. Uh, I believe it. Uh, anytime anyone reaches out to the hand of it, of, for help, I want the hand of AA to always be there. And for that, I'm responsible. And uh, I, I do take that particular one seriously, but then I apply that to a lot of areas of my life. So, you know, when I think of accountability and relationships and who's like, ultimately, it's me. It's on me. It's on Orlando. If I have a relationship, whether it be platonic or otherwise, I, I can't hold that person with total uh, responsibility to carry the accountability of me because uh, ultimately it, it's on my lap. And, and I must then look at that accountability that falls on me. Now, what I do with it is is a whole different question, right? Do, do I act on it? Do I fix it? Do I amend it? Do I, you know, tell somebody or do I write about it? Do I put it in a poem? I I often like writing, so I'll I'll put it in the poem, in the form of the poem. And so those are just some of the things that sort of come to mind when you made that mention of that. I think healthy accountability is when you have a, a community of people. Could be men, could be women, could be a mixed group, depending on on what the specific uh, purpose and goals are of the group. But where where you're all moving together towards something similar, regardless of what you're moving away from. So, you know, whether it's pornography or alcohol, or in extreme cases of sex addiction, there's acting out with prostitutes and other you know other levels of acting out. Whatever you're moving away from, I think what's more important is what you're moving towards. Because if all we're worried about is, did you do the bad thing? Did you do the bad thing? Did you do the bad thing? And we're not worried about pursuing the good thing instead. It's kind of by analogy, it's like if I were at a weightlifting gym and I, I had, you know, my training team, whatever, say four or five other guys and we're committed to being at that gym six days a week. If I don't show up, that throws off the the quality of the training for everyone else. I'm missing a training day. I'm not getting stronger. If I don't, if I show up and I don't disclose that I'm working around an injury, either because I did the bad thing or because I I did something close to the bad thing or a little bit of backsliding using a moral language, then either I can get hurt or someone else can get hurt if I don't, if I don't share that, but we're all there trying to get stronger. If it's a a gym, a a weightlifting group or something, if it's a men's group at church, it shouldn't be limited to, you know, did you look at porn or did you masturbate? It needs to include, how are you engaging your faith? How are you being a better husband? How are you being a better father? If those roles are part of your life, how are you being a better employee or business owner, whatever you're doing? How is your faith impacting all of those roles in your life? That necessarily, I think, will do some teaching about being wiser with emotions, being more mature with our emotions, and, and naturally do some limiting. I don't, I don't quite buy that, you know, if you just replace the bad thing with all good stuff that you run out of time because addiction is neurological. It's not just something on your, your day planner, right? But when there's a community of people that are pushing you in this direction, and you're a part of pushing them in that direction, I, I think that makes for really effective accountability. And if we know, let's just say this is a church context, you know, the three of us are talking about addiction recovery. So there's some form of, of 
gluttony or lust that is the favorite sin of our flesh, right? Well, for somebody else, it could be pride. And whether or not that's the favorite sin of my flesh or the, the vice, whatever you want to call it, whether or not that's the thing that I need to move away from, I have something that I need to learn from that person in dealing with whatever pride plays a role in the thing I'm trying to move away from or whatever pride would keep me from moving towards the good thing I'm trying to move towards. Dan, there's a way that I, and I appreciate this. And this is reminding me of like our other conversations around how do you define sobriety in the first place? But uh, moving beyond, I'm just, I'm trying not to do a particular thing to, I want to become a different kind of person. And I want to be, not just clean and sober from drugs and alcohol, but I want to be faithful to my spouse, present with my kids, n- not prideful, not angry, responsible with my money, you know, involved in, in community. And that feels like a threshold that some people seem to get to. And I'm, I'm thinking about thinking about, you know, where people are out of my men's group on this too. For for those people who get a sense of I want to be a different kind of person and I want it because I want it that that person has a very different experience than someone who's like, well, I'm really only looking at like porn. I'm really only looking at alcohol. And it's really only because like so-and-so wants me to be here. And I don't really love the process. That person has a much different, <laughs> less enjoyable experience of this. I was really appreciating too, you know, Dan, when you were bringing up the, like, like the metaphor of like the show, you know, showing up and working out together. And that brought up a couple of ideas. One, again, on the very practical level, See, seeing that you're 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 a good match for people because like 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 me I'm in I'm a, I'm kind of fit but if I try and work out with like like the 22 year old bodybuilders like it's not going to be a good fit because they're just they're going to be outpacing me and doing a whole bunch of things that I can't do but you know from like if I do try to do like some some yoga some primal movements some with like like the middle aged dads I'm like okay that's more my jam I can actually succeed there so pacing yourself right that is, is a really important thing but you're um. When you talk about how how when how the way that you show up affects everyone else, and in Orlando, when you were talking about like maybe you have a secret and maybe nobody knows about it, but you know about it, and it's still affecting you, so it's still affecting them. There is very much this idea of the community affects each other. We are we are a community system, very particularly in a sacramental context. But you know, if I am showing up even to a twelve step group and I'm not well, or I'm not being for, forthcoming, or I am harboring resentments for people like that changes me and I have an effect on the people around me, whether or not they know that I'm having an effect. Yeah, it's a, uh, it does become really important. Uh, and then, I mean, we factor in like, you know, you're keeping a secret. How's that affecting your family? How's that affecting your kids? How's that affecting your legacy? It does have an effect uh, and you probably won't see it for, you know, weeks, months, years, decades, uh, but it does have an effect. So must be careful there. Oh, I, I, I agree. I love that analogy as well. Uh, you know, I'm that my accountability of showing up, say, for in this example to the gym as part of the men's, you know, workout group is going to have an effect on others. And I do believe that accountability uh, does have that effect on, on others, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we see it or not. And I'll just go back to what I had mentioned before that even if nobody knows about it, it's still going to have an effect on them. And so when I think about accountability, you know, you're using a couple of, um, you know, pornography as, as another, uh, another area. 
you know, I, I want to take diabetes for, for an example, right? And so when I deal with my diabetes, you know, I, I had a specialty doctor who works in diabetes. She's the first doctor I've ever actually, actually listened to and then followed her directions. So I gave up milk, right? Like literally the next day, have not had a drop of milk since then, right? And, and turned me on to almond milk, so soy milk, silk, you know, all the other kinds of non-milk products that are out there. And I acquired a taste for it, right? So everything's going along. Numbers are starting to, to trink all the way down. Everything's going really super nice. And all of a sudden, last Wednesday, I, I, would, I would dare call it a slip where I went sugar crazy. I mean, I, I was accountable for the on, on the onslaught of sugar. I mean, in every form you could imagine. It was as if, as if, if I were a cocaine uh, user, and I went back out, it, it would be like that scene in Scarface where he nosedives into the pile of cocaine and just comes back up, you know, breathing in, right? And I saw myself with the cookies and the candies, you know, and it goes on and on and on. And then when she called me on Thursday to have a little chat about my numbers, I felt that I needed to be accountable for what I had done. And I let her know. This is what I did. And I gave her all more in detail. And she simply said, that will happen, but we can get back on and we can go forward again. Right. So in other words, it kind of speaks to what Dan, what you were saying about trying to get away from the bad, but then why not also go towards the good, um, you know, in that sense. And so I, I do believe I, you know, it's just, it's a great way of, of looking at it because most of us do sort of tend to think, I must not do, must get away from, must not participate in, right, and be accountable. But why not do the other side, which is I must, you know, go towards, be empowered by, and, you know, do better and so on and so forth. So I really, I like that idea because it, it uh, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective because I, like everyone else, I'm, I'm thinking get away from this, get away, you know, and why not run towards something that is good and, and, and that's going to help you know, the individual. Uh, there's one more thing I'll just say. When you think of Bill W., right, one of the founders of AA, and you think about, like, what's the fundamental background with 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 the AA or any of the 12 steps? Is, you know, one addict helping another, one alcoholic helping another. And so the idea, and this is just my opinion, I don't speak for AA or any 12 steps or for the school or for my organization, but I do believe it's about making a, making a change. At, at the end of the day, my 12-step program, so it's, it's, yes, it's about not drinking, not using drugs. Yes, I agree. And it's also about making it. I cannot be that same person I was when I was out there using and drinking if I'm going to just simply remove the drugs and alcohol. There has to be another change. And so for me, 12-step is really about changing what's between my ears. Right or changing who I was to who I am today, and the nice thing about that is that I get to keep changing. So it's part of my journey uh, that I'm accountable for. Yeah, the need there does need to be that that whole change and that, that moving toward and and I, and I'd love to see as, as a bigger conversation within the recovery community. I'd love to see more see that fleshed out more. Uh, I'd say one advantage of working within a faith community I mean, uh, is there's there's often 
an example or there's a prime example to describe after. I mean, in Christianity, it's it's the Lord Jesus, and so you know, in you know, Protestant circles, we'll talk about you know, sanctification, and you know, Orthodox, we use the term theosis, and it's this idea of like, you know, it goes way beyond just like don't sin anymore, I and mean, then it becomes very much like be like Christ, become become you have the image of God in you, become God-like. Uh, and having that idea to move toward is really powerful. And, you know, definitely too, within, within our orthodoxy, I mean, when we talk about, you know, having this cloud of witnesses and when we have these saints, these icons on our walls, we're like, these are the people who have done it and they're with us and they care about us and we love them. And, you know, when, for the sake of people who care about you and that love you and that have done what you want to do, there's a lot that's possible. And when, yeah, for, for someone like that, yes, I will, I will go through a lot of effort and, and go through a lot of things. I want, I want to take some time to talk about a couple uh, practical aspects of this. So uh, two, two, two major questions here. So, uh, so for the person who is uh, seeking accountability, whether through a partner or through a group or some form, uh, what would you say are some practical considerations, mistakes to avoid you know, for the person who's seeking accountability? And then after that, we'll ask about, so, and let's say you are the person being asked, hey, will you be my accountability partner? If you're being asked to provide accountability, same thing. So what do you think? If How would you advise people who are seeking ac- accountability for themselves? Is this part of where you want to bring in the discussion about software and, and that stuff? Sure. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's have our software rant here. <laughs> yeah. So this is my personal opinion. Reporting is better than blocking. Because when you block, you reinforce hacking. Yeah. With reporting, the, the drawback to it is that it's it's still retroactive. It's not preventative. That said, going back to the weightlifting metaphor a little bit, when I'm lifting heavy, I still use spotting pins. Unfortunately, I don't actually get to train with the group. That's just not a, a reality in my life. I would love that. I'm at the gym. In, in real life, I'm at the gym most of the time by myself. And so I'll set up the rack in such a way that if I dump the weight, the rack will keep me safe and I'm not going to get hurt. In my own recovery, I still have reporting software on all of my devices. And I have three people who are getting those, those notifications if there was to be anything. And there's not. There hasn't been in a long time. I'm blessed to say that, except for false positives, because when I go on my own business website, it talks about sex and pornography. And so, you know, but anyway, I think reporting is better than blocking because we don't want to reinforce hacking. And when there's a report, even though it's retroactive for someone who's very early on, the biggest thing that we have to deal with is shame. Like, okay, so you looked, let's have a conversation about that. What happened? What was going on? What were some tools that you thought about, but then discounted? Did you think about any tools and and do that in a way that's very gentle and provides opportunity for, for growth rather than, gee, Reese, you, you did it again. Come on, man. When are you going to get, get with the program, get better already? This is your second strike, man. One more and you're out. Like th- those things don't help. That type of accountability doesn't help with software and reporting specifically. Uh, I am strongly of the opinion that the person getting those reports should never be somebody's spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, or significant other. That's not what they signed up for. They signed up to be, you know, your romantic partner, your life partner, your spouse. They did not sign up to be your porn police. 
you, you need other people for that. And again, using the weightlifting metaphor, I am nearly, nearly three times my wife's size when she's not pregnant. She's pregnant at the moment, so normal weight's a bit off. But even with her pregnant, I'm twice her size. If she were to try to spot me while I'm bench pressing, we would both get hurt. That's just a bad idea. So should always be somebody else. I think in there too, there's this idea that uh, if you're seeking accountability, you should. So, so I guess there's a couple of different kinds. Like there, there, there is peer support from people who are kind of at a level with you because there, there can be an encouragement and a camaraderie there. But, but maybe your primary accountability should be from someone who's more, more advanced than you, more time, more age, more something. Well, I, ideally, with with victory over that particular temptation, you know. I don't want to learn how to, to deadlift from somebody who deadlifts less than I do, just practically speaking. So, yeah. you know, if somebody wants to give me deadlift advice, they need to be deadlifting more than I do. The same goes for recovery. Yeah. And I feel that. Like, yeah. And I'm thinking about that, like in the recovery context or in a spiritual context or just like a life context. Like if I'm going to go, if I'm going to ask someone to mentor me, I kind of want them to be like better at the thing than I am or just like all over like healthy. Orlando, I'd be care. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts, and especially so. So I know, like, like the software thing comes up specifically related to porn, but we're also talking about like, like drugs and alcohol and food and like all the other things that don't have like a software attached to it. I don't know what are some practical things a person should do or keep in mind seeking accountability in some of those areas. Well, you know, I really like what Dan said with regards to uh, giving them. Uh, how did you put it? Was it uh, options or choices or something? You know, along those lines, I, when I do my counseling, for example, I, I never, ever, ever tell them what it is that they ought to do, should do, or even advice. I give them, I give them a lot of choices, different options, and let them uh, allow them to choose from the smorgasbord. And one of them is to continue doing what you're doing, right? It's an option, not the best option, but it's still an option, right? And so that in and of itself, when, when they choose these items, right, it, it's, they're taking on their own responsibility. So what came to mind almost immediately when you, when you said that, you know, what would you say to somebody? I think the first thing that comes to mind is honesty and integrity, right? If I'm going to work with somebody, I, I need to be honest. And I also need to have integrity. Uh, to be able to then call it, you know, in other words, I'm not going to soft sell it and say, well, you did okay, um, but it wasn't too bad. It's like, no, you went on the porn site, you know, you did, and you spent an hour and a half. But at the same time, they're, they're not going to get that negative, like, down slot of like, okay, two strikes, one more, that's it, we're done. I, I, I don't like that. It doesn't work. It just does not work. In, in the experiences that I've seen in others, it doesn't work. It scares them, right? The whole series on Scared Straight and you know, all that stuff. You know, I, I don't like that approach. I never have. I don't use my counseling in that respect. I listen. To me, the key is 90-10, right? 90% of the time, I'm going to listen. 10% of the time, I'm going to ask questions. I need for them to talk. Bill W. was writing, before he died, was writing about emotional sobriety, right? And that, uh, that was part of this, something else that he wanted to bring. And unfortunately, that didn't, that didn't come to pass. So integrity comes in. Honesty comes in. And also, I want to add that other piece of it, which is 
for me, and this is what works for Orlando, is that I, I get to emulate or I get to use other people as a role model for me that, for example, I'll take my sponsor. I, I love what this man does. Why he's been in my life for 22 years uh, out of the 35 is simply because my first sponsor died. Outside of that, he would have been the sponsor of, of my choosing. And the reason why I stay with him, and, and although he's 1,600 miles away, or however far it is to Las Vegas, I still keep in contact. This is somebody that has not only the integrity and honesty, but he has accountability not only to himself, but to those around him, to his friends, to his family, to his peers. A mother who like cast him away and threw him away that she didn't want anything to do with him because he was not developmentally, he was not where he should have been. He couldn't walk and talk until the age of six. So Ma, his mom decided to get rid of him. So the grand he was raised by his grandparents. This this same man took care of his ma after he got cleaned up and he got sober until the day that she died. He she she was taken care of by the very son that she threw away. He was accountable for for that. You know, I really admire someone who still does that who's able to not hold on to, say, a resentment, because as we know, resentments will kill you eventually. Um, at least that's my belief. So having accountability, somebody comes to me and asks me, and it's like, do you have enough self-honesty? Do, do you have, do, do you do you think that there's any integrity left within you? Uh, I love how you mentioned justice earlier um, when you're talking. I like to bring out the pillars of ethics, right? And when you think about the pillars of ethics, we think of justice, autonomy, we think of non-maleficence, oh, I actually said it right, and beneficence, right? Do no harm and best interest of, of the person, right? And so we, we hold on to these values and these truths. And to me, accountability has to be a part of that system, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing story. Uh, your, sponsor, your sponsor sounds like a, a very heroic person. The the thing that I am gleaning from this too is that so so if I'm seeking accountability, there, there there's a high amount of initiative that goes in there. Like I should you know if if it, if you know porn's my jam, I should take the initiative to you know find find a find a good software if if I believe in that. Or if I'm trying to make changes, I should find someone who and and I should hunt them down. However, if, even if it's like you know sixteen hundred miles away, to find someone who has done the same work and and they do exist. It's just, I mean, it's a matter of resourcing and th uh, the different experiences I'm seeing. There's again, the, the, there's the people who their motivation is more like fear of judgment or fear of consequence, or just like fear of like getting in trouble. And, and sometimes that can be like a really narrow scope when it shifts more to like, I love this person, like an item of this, you know, this, you know, wife, husband, kids, uh, a sponsor, a friend, uh, when I love this person and I'm afraid to hurt them because I, I do not want to grieve them like that. That's like much, a much stronger, stronger sense of motivation. And when it, and then too, like when the, there's a sense of like, I have a sense of like, I could be better and I think, and I could be more, and I, I would be grieved to miss out on that from, from my own self. There's a stronger motivation there too. So, so currently in my life, so I, I have a counselor that I see a little bit because I'm poor. But I also I also have have a have a priest, I have a confessor, and that's uh, that's free. What I've been loving about exploring that relationship, though, is that you know Father Matthew, you know, he doesn't demand a report 
I mean, actually, technically, it doesn't even demand that I come for confession. Um, it's very much a thing. I know this is good for me. And so I choose to go. And like, I, at this point, like, in both my spiritual walk and my recovery walk and like just my human walk, like, I, I know what is burdensome for me. Like, I know the things that taint my soul. And like, I know the things that I need to confess and disclose and bring out and unburden. When I am willing to face that darkness in my own self, then I can address it. And so th- there's a way my, my accountability person kind of just becomes like a, a kind witness for me to essentially do the work that I already know that I should be doing. And uh, I, I think that's, that's, well, I should be, I should be careful here <laughs> to say, I think everybody should be like me. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but, I, but I feel like the, that shift from, I need somebody to tell me what to do to kind of know what I need to do and I want to do it. I just need somebody to be there with me. That's a really essential shift. And I would love to see more people get there. Yeah. So you you mentioned the sacrament of confession. And I'll say that's an area where Protestants need to learn from Catholics and Orthodox. We, we need that a lot more. Galatians 6.1, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And that I think that's maybe a little bit more than confessing to a single person as in, as in the way that those sacraments are, are practiced in my outsider's understanding because you, you're confessing to one person. There's uh, a guy in, in California, uh, Kurt, Kurt Thompson. I don't know if either of you have read any of his work. Did he do um, Anatomy of the Soul? Yes, Anatomy of the Soul. Um, his most recent one, I think, is um, The Soul of Desire. Mm. So he's, he's going at, at things from a, a Christian and interpersonal neurobiological perspective. And he gets in... Uh, like some of the groups that he does, they're called confessional communities where there's this practice of being seen and being supported by other people who are all on their own journey of, of moving away from something and moving towards something and they're therapeutic groups. But the, it it sounds like his practice basically just kind of spins up the group and then launches them to maintain on their own outside of the therapeutic practice and I, I think that a healthy accountability community, you know, a, a good church community, a healthy church community would work like that, where whatever you're moving away from, because from a Christian perspective, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That, that's human experience. That's a human reality. None of us can judge. All of us need to be conformed to the image of Christ, be more Christ-like. And so there's, you know, You've sinned, move away from that. You need to be like Christ, move towards that. Religiously speaking, not everybody's gonna not everybody's gonna be okay with that that framework, but I do think as a as a matter of common grace, everybody has access to something like that. Yeah. You know, you know it's interesting how you were uh, both of you are you know talking about the confessional piece of it. Um, I, I looked immediately at as the 12 steps and how they operate, right? And so, you know, step five, you know, confess to, you know, to another human being and to God. But then, you know, when you think about it, uh, all the 12 step really is inherently all about accountability, right, to yourself. When you think about, like, the first step, you know, I admitted I was powerless over alcohol, and then uh, that my life has become unmanageable. Between those two independent clauses, there's one thing a lot of people don't talk about. 
which is the dash. And it's a specific dash. It's an M dash, E-M dash, not an E-N dash. So it's a long dash. And there's reason why Bill put that dash there. I'll let you guys figure out what that is. And so I did research on it to find out. And so when I, when I looked at all the 12 steps, if I apply the 12 steps, I'm really being accountable for my recovery. And I may need someone like a sponsor to be there to help me through this accountability process. But it never ends. It's part of my journey. So June 1st will be 35 years on this journey, right, that I'm going on. And I'm not tired of it, at least not yet. Maybe tomorrow, but not today. And so that's how I kind of look at it as being accountable for Orlando for Orlando's sake. And then I have the sponsor. I have a couple actually that help me keep me on track when I'm there and help me guide me towards, I'm going to use that term, guide me towards the light, you know, <laughs> run to the light, Carolyn, that sort of thing, uh, as opposed to <laughs> run, right? And so, uh, and that's how I look at it. You know, I, 12 steps have served me well, continues serving well. I use it in every aspect of my life. I, I really do. And it has that spiritual component that neither gnaws at me, but it, it doesn't overwhelm me. But I know it's there. So I'm able to just sit back and just like, okay, take me away. Yeah, that's really great. So something and then like this idea of like recovery is a journey. And mostly we just need guides. Sometimes we need physicians and teachers. Uh, something and again, so you know, practical things. So, so if I, so if I am being called upon to provide that accountability for someone, love to hear you know, a couple of brief thoughts. Brief thoughts as we're starting to wind down. But it seems like the that depends some on on the nature of the relationship. Like if it's um, like if I am being asked to be a, an accountability partner to to appear someone you know similar age, similar life stage, similar time in recovery. And especially for both like newer in it, my role probably isn't to dispense wisdom and solutions because I don't necessarily have those. But uh, my, my role is probably more to be presence, to be support, to be like, hey, I'm with you. Keep trying. We'll get through this. A little bit more of that cheerleader feeling. And also, I want to drop in the practical bit too. Um, like if we're doing stuff like like recoveryability, uh, <laughs> recoverability, <laughs> uh, like group text or quick calls, or uh, or check-ins like it can be it can be short it can be a couple minutes it can be just a hey I just need to acknowledge I'm going through this thing and uh, and the other person needs to acknowledge okay I I'm, I'm witness to you in that um like check back with me later it can be kind of short like that it seems like once it gets into so now I am further along in the journey than you and you're asking me for accountability there becomes more room for can I maybe give a little bit more space for you can I offer some perspective can I offer some advice. Uh, and if the and if, as that gap widens, and if the relationship goes on and the trust deepens, there becomes more room for maybe a little bit more directiveness, maybe even a little bit more sternness, if the relationship supports it. Because yeah, there, there's going to be time, there's going to be a lot of times when I really just need someone with me. But then there are, for those times when I do need, I don't know what to do, and I I'm feeling stuck. Uh, it'd be good to have somebody more advanced who can who can guide me there. I agree. Yeah. I, one of the recovery groups, I don't think it was one of the 12-step communities, but they came up with a, a framework that they call fast check-in because people were complaining that it take too, takes too long or something. It's feelings, uh, recovery activities that you've done, are you sober, and coming threats to your recovery. Um, so two looking back over 
you know, a period of time, whether it's the last week or the last 24 hours. And two, looking, uh, well, one is, are you sober? So that's present. And then one looking forward, looking ahead. So, yeah, it can be short. And I like what you said about the the peer versus somebody who's further along. There, there's a place for both. There's a need for both in any area of life, not only recovery. I, I think one, one, and I don't, I don't know how this works in 12-step communities because that's not where I found my recovery and because my drug of choice was pornography. I, I think that if we only contact our accountability partners when we're craving or tempted or whatever term you want to use, that we are, we are objectifying the people that we are in recovery with or being accountable to in a way that is similar to the way that we objectify people in pornography. Because if all they are is recovery 911, we're, we're just making them an object. We're not having a relationship with them. So I think one of the things that I, I, I try to share with my clients early on is you need friends, not just accountability partners. You need friends that you can also talk about this kind of stuff with, not just fishing buddies, not just you know hiking buddies. You need people that you can have these deep conversations with and be real and transparent and honest. I love that you bring that up. And I was going to say, I was thinking, thinking something diff- uh, similar. <laughs> Let me back up. I love what you said. I had never thought of like objectifying and again, an accountability partner, but you're, you're, you're totally right. Cause this, if, if I'm saying, Oh, you're just my, you're, you're my buffer. You're my, you're my human savior, you know, save me your accountability person from screwing up my life. Uh, yeah, that, that's not a full relationship. And what we need is for relationships. So calling your accountability person, even when things are great, just to like share some time would be really essential. And the thing I was thinking about is, like we said, we're talking about this is a transform, transformative process. And so really what we're inviting people into is this whole way of life. And it's a way of, you know, the addictive way of life is very isolated, very solitary, very closed off. And so the counterpart of that must needs be very open, very connected. And so shifting into like like this sober mindset way of life should mean like, hey, it is a normal thing for me to call somebody, sometimes just for the heck of it. It's a normal thing for me to call and talk about my thoughts and feelings. It's a normal thing to talk about a failure or a risk or a temptation. And when that can become like a normalized thing, and then again, this, you know, plug for orthodox confession, like, like our it's offered at different times. Sometimes it's offered like just like, you know, Sunday liturgy right up in front next to like the, the liturgy going on. And it's, it's not a shame thing. It's very much like, a, oh, everybody does this thing. Like everybody like brushes their teeth. Oh, so-and-so is that confession. Cool. Uh, I'm next, <laughs> you know. And when it can become a normalized thing, then it becomes a much more accessible thing. And then we're normalizing being open and connected. And I think that's more truly what we're after. Yeah, I, I really like how you mentioned um, being object- or using someone and objectifying them in, in a sense. For me, I, I use my sponsor that way until I realize that I can build a relationship and, and, and get to know Stan holistically, not, not just for, hey, I need advice or, hey, what do you think? But we began this thing uh, where we became friends and somebody had said to me years, years ago, you can't be friends with your sponsor. That's not what they're here for. They're here, for, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I disagreed with them because I needed to know who Stan was as a human being, as a person. In much like the way when I met, um, and you might, Dan, you might know him, Douglas Braun Harvey. 
he's the one that did the sexual health and recovery uh, treatment. And I, I met him and it was about sexual health in recovery. And uh, at a facility that Risa and I worked at, it was could not even bring up the notion of even doing a group like that. Oh, no, 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 wait, no, no. It was like, you don't, we don't talk about that. And then when I went to the methadone clinic, it's like, oh my God, yes, please, we need that. It turned out to be my best group ever. People were, with a few exceptions that I had to kick out, but outside of that, it was the best group. The same people showed up. And the nice thing about it is that, I know I'm doing a little shameless plug, but with his book, he spent years in San Diego modifying sexual health and recovery. And you know, it's all built out, right? You don't have to think of a group because it's already there, right? You just read and do. Um, and then I had to modify it because of the pandemic. But I, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, taking on the accountability is like, I'm accountable to making sure that the clients that I work with are also treated holistically, that it's not just an area of drugs and alcohol, it's about life changing, right? And that will include other modifications, if you will, like would it be pornography or whether it be, you know, my sexual uh, desires and things of that nature that, that can take them off course. And so um, I think accountability as a counselor goes beyond just what I get hired for. I, I, I think it's about, it's about building relationships at the end of the day. Very much so. Uh, Orlando, if you can send me the names and authors of those books, I'll, I'll post those links in the liner notes for this episode. Dan, you have a quick thought and then maybe we'll wrap after that. Yeah. You talk about normalizing failure and, um, you know, I, I don't want this to be a, you know, do as Dan does thing. So I'll invite feedback on this. This is an experiment, but it's been an experiment that's been going on, I think for over, over three years now. When we do bedtime prayers with our kids, we ask a series of, of reflection questions over the day one of our questions is, how did you fail today? Because we want to normalize failure as like, that's, it's part of life and you need to know how to take responsibility and, and get back up. And, you know, some, some days it's like, I had zero fails. I had a good day. Most days it's like that with, with the kids. And, you know, they're nine and five. They're not, we're not dealing with addiction recovery issues. We're just dealing with growing up. But then my wife and I share our fails of the day that, are fit for nine and five year old ears, you know, of what we did, you know, we got, we got short or snappy. So we're, we're also, there's also some modeling going on in that. So I think it's working. I think that's something, you know, that's just a family ritual that we've developed, but I would also invite feedback on that because, <laughs> you know, it, that it, is a it, yeah. way. that's the most intriguing idea. I'm going to have to think about that because I, I can imagine I mean, I'm imagining like all the ways I could go wrong. Although I sense with, with in your case, it's probably done with a, like a lot of attunement and compassion. So could I, that, that's actually kind of cool. I'm yeah. going to have to think about that. So it, if they share something, the, the response is always, thank you for taking responsibility for that. How are you going to make wiser choices in the future? Or if it's a, a fail because of a limit, how are you going to grow your limits? Yeah, that's really good. I guess like that, like the... Uh, and of a variant of that would be, and like, my family tries to do more of this where like, I mean, uh, whether it's like me and my wife to each other or our, our boys with each other or like us yeah, and like parents to kids, like when we know we've offended someone, like is the idea to like try to like, you know, ask forgiveness like right away. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I suspect like when parents do that to their kids, uh, that's like an extremely powerful thing. But yes, a bit again, like going back to this whole idea of like part of what accountability entails is not just, hey, I did this thing, but let me repair it. Let me seek reconciliation, forgiveness. We said very little about that today and probably should have like a whole episode about relationship repair. So yeah. teaser, we'll come back to that at some point. Yeah. Anyway. For uh, respecting time, I want to let, let you guys both go and let the listener go as well. But thank you, Dan. Thank you, Orlando, so much for being here, for throwing in a lot, a lot of wisdom and perspective and experiences. Yeah, it's been great, great to talk. We'll have to do it all again sometime. Yeah, my pleasure. It was a pleasure to meet you, Orlando. My pleasure too, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for joining me in today's conversation. My name is Reese Basimio. I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian and a clinical counselor with specialties in substance use, compulsive behaviors, sexuality, and trauma. You can reach me through newpatterncounseling.com. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Theme music is by Titus Lockard. Please like, rate, review, and share this podcast from all your favorite platforms. Please also consider showing your support of this work through contributing dollars through the podcast page at patreon.com slash outer circle. Thank you and see you next time.